Good morning and welcome everyone to a live Dharma Sunday for October 1st, 2017. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Well, I want to tell you, I just finished home curing some olives. I have a place that I get some raw olives from, real jumbo sized. They had been listed in Craigslist uh, about six, seven years ago, and I've been doing that every year in the fall when the ripes, when the olives are ripe and get harvested. And I buy a five-gallon bucket full of these olives, and then I I talk to people that have done it before. I went online and. Uh, I devised a method to my own uh, adjustments and whatever. And, and you, you, there's various ways to cure olives, but I use the lye, which is the, the most popular and it's quick and everything. Um, and it's kind of kind of uh, incongruous, but to use lye, which is very caustic, and that's the stuff. Lye is the stuff that's in Drano. <laughs> it cleans your, your pipes out. Uh, so you have to be careful because it's caustic. It could burn you. Uh, and you always add the lye to oh, a few tablespoons to a gallon of water. You don't add water to the lye powder. Uh, but you have to add the, the lye powder to the water. So it, is, you know, it won't start to heat up and bubble around and everything and burn you. Um, so you only use a few tablespoons per gallon of water and then uh, you let the olive sit in there and that takes somehow takes out the the um, very tart chemical that that um, out of the olives and softens them up a little bit and then you have to rinse it every four hours and change the water for several days until the water gets clear and then you bottle it up with some kind of flavoring. And I use salt and vinegar. And then the last few years, I, I was reading that um, thyme and rosemary sprigs are good. And so uh, it just so happens that those are a couple of the herbs that Adrian grows outside. So I use my own. I go and cut those up. And, and then I, I have a really good crop of um, garlic. Garlic grows really good in this area. And in fact, uh, outside of San Jose, there's a town called Gilroy, and that's called the the um, uh, garlic capital of the world. You know, everybody has something like that. Um, south of Fresno, I think Selma is known as the raisin capital of the world, and uh, kind of a advertising slogan, I guess. But anyway, I I. I get a good crop of garlic and I mince those up and I put those into the olive jar too. You, you sterilize the bottles and then you put the olives in there and then you put that vinegar salt solution and, and those spices and then you refrigerate it and it'll last, you know, quite a few months like that if you refrigerate it. And uh, I guess I lucked out because the first time I did it, Hey, they tasted pretty good. <laughs> I was really surprised. So, uh, uh, 
but the reason I'm mentioning this is one of the local relatives said that, well, the reason, the way that you, you do this is you get a five-gallon bucket, you drill some holes in the bottom of it, then you put your olives in there, and then you put that bucket inside another five-gallon bucket. So this way, when you want to drain out and, you know, change the solution, you can pick that inside bucket up and the water will drain, the solution will drain out through those holes that are in the bottom of that bucket, okay? And then you could dump that bucket out and, and so forth. So it's a very efficient way to drain the solution out. Then you're going to change the solution, okay? And then put lower the bucket, the inside bucket in, and it fills up, okay? And... I drilled a quarter inch holes with a, a drill in the bottom of that inside bucket. And I might've had a oh, couple of dozen holes in there uh, in previous years. And this year, um, when I lifted it up, uh, that bottom broke. And I said, oh, it must've got weakened because of all these holes that were drilled into it and all the weight of the olives. Um, it, it finally got, it broke, the bottom broke. So I had to drill some holes in another five gallon bucket and I didn't drill as many, you know, because the more you holes you drill in, of course, the, the weaker that, that gets. So I said, yeah, that's, that's some trade off. There's a teaching there. More is not necessarily better. Okay. Uh, you drill too many holes in there. Of course, it, you know, it drains faster, but it's going to break. Okay. So I only drill in about eight holes in the new one for the eight fold path, of course. But, and it takes a little, you know, it takes about 10 more seconds to drain out, but well, that's not no problem. So I was thinking, yeah, sometimes you, whatever the your situation you're talking about, sometimes you might think, oh, you know, the more the better, but not, there's trade offs. Uh, and sometimes we don't think about that until we experience some consequences that we had never thought about. And I think that's how life is, you know, that's how life is. And, uh, we learn and then we keep going. Uh, so you could learn some less life lessons from when you're curing olives. Well, I want to introduce, our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse, Nico Bioyo. Um, she lives in Florida, and uh, she just moved there with her partner, and uh, uh, got welcomed by Hurricane Irma. Uh, but they love it there, and she was part of our LM3 group. I first met her oh, maybe almost 20 years ago, perhaps when. She was leading a Tai Chi workshop in Hawaii as uh, one of the early morning sessions in the, at a conference or convention, um, and she had a, a yoga type studio in the on the Big Island of Hawaii, where she had moved from from Oahu, and then she wanted to go back to school after so many years and went to the Midwest and went to music school. And in fact, the song that you heard in the intro to the show 
that's our Bright Dawn theme song. That is her original composition. And uh, so she did that in the Chicago suburbs. And then, as I said, just recently moved to Florida. And she was part of our LM3 group. In fact, one of her um, fellow students, Sayo, it's his voice you hear because he, he, he had experience with Blog Talk, which is the service provider that we use for the broadcast. And so he, he gives that introduction. And he, he was one of her classmates uh, in LM3. So without further ado, Nico Bioyo. Thank you. Thank you, Sensei, for that lovely introduction. <laughs> and uh, yes, it's been a, a long time. I, I, as you were describing, you know, how long it's been, I was just thinking, wow, we did meet quite a while ago. Um, and it's been quite a journey. And I'm sure it's been a journey for, for you and for all of us who are listening when you think back to a time in your life in the past. And then you, you just sometimes are amazed at all the things that have happened and all the changes and just everything. And then, and then sometimes you realize that it seems like time hasn't even really passed. And some people say time doesn't exist, <laughs> yet we still experience it. So, yes, thank you. Um, and thanks for having me today. Uh, it's been a while since I've been on actually live. Usually um, I do the recording, but I actually was really looking forward to doing a live session today. And so thanks for everyone that's listening live and also anyone that might be listening to the recorded version in the future. So, yes, yes, I was welcomed by Hurricane Irma. Um, it was quite a welcome. I uh, recently did move to Florida, uh, the Fort Myers, Cape Coral area at the end of July. I uh, moved from a suburb of Chicago, so quite a, quite a weather change, a good one for me, because <laughs> I did live in Hawaii um, for several years, and I do actually prefer a little warmer climate, so that, that part's really good. Um, never have experienced a hurricane before. So it was kind of like, hey, welcome to Florida. Now get out, <laughs> evacuate. <laughs> um, and I laugh now, but uh, I won't lie to you. It was a little scary um, when it was happening. And I thought I would touch on that a little bit today and lead into the topic where we're going to be talking a little bit about some aspects of non-attachment and ego. Um, but I do want to share with you just really briefly a little of my experience of what it was like to sort of the days before the hurricane actually arrived in and what it was like to really just be watching the news, the media, and to be tracking this hurricane and to be experiencing this uh, interpretation um, that the media is having of how this devastating, you know, the biggest ever, most destructive force barreling towards us in very dramatic language, you know, coming towards us, not that it wasn't a really destructive force, but it was difficult for me um, to not like buy into that fear. Um, And, and so there's like a balance I think between warning people of danger, you know, true danger and, and letting them be prepared. And then also the sensationalism of news and, um, you know, really ramping up people's fear and panic. So I won't lie to you, there was a pretty big energy of panic around here. People buying up all the supplies and gas. I mean, gas stations running out of gas and food, running out of food at the grocery stores. And um, we couldn't even get 
like the screws that we needed to put our hurricane shutters on that came with our house. We didn't know how to do that. You couldn't even find the screws. And there was just a lot of stress around getting prepared and then trying to decide whether we were going to stay or leave um, because it was such a huge hurricane. And they said, it's going to cover the entire state of Florida. No one is safe. You know, everybody get out. So we really vacillated back and forth that week before it came as to whether we were going to stay or go. And if any of you were observing the news, some of you actually live here in Florida, you know that one day they're like, oh, it's going to go to the east. Next day, oh, it's going to go to the west. Next day, oh, it's going to go straight up. So, um, yeah, it was really back and forth. But I'll tell you what happened was, was the Thursday before the storm came, um, we were just, we had thought we were going to stay. We thought, okay, people who've lived here a while say, just stay, you'll be fine. Then the news came at 5 o'clock that afternoon, and they changed the Finally, they changed the forecast to say it's heading straight for literally like the eye of the hurricane was going to come on top of us. And we just decided, you know what, let's just not be here, you know, like it's okay because this is a healthy fear. And this is kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit is the difference between healthy fear and unhealthy fear. So, you know, our nervous system will activate when there's, danger or perceived danger and i'd say that this hurricane definitely qualified as danger and not just perceived but real danger to your life right so we felt fearful for our life you know we said to ourselves um we could lose our life if we stay here we don't know for sure what's going to happen um and we decided to make a decision that okay well we're just going to leave and we're not going to panic we're just going to pack our things and we're going to go. And there was definitely an element of having to practice non-attachment because here I was standing in this home that we'd bought and we'd only lived in for two months and walking out the door at 9.30 at night, not knowing whether you're ever going to see your home and your things again. Um, i got to tell you, I was feeling a little attached. You know, I cried a little um, as I was walking out the door and I thought to myself, you know what? If, it, if this home gets destroyed and everything in it, we'll just replace it. It'll be fine. It's just, it's just things. But what we can't replace is our lives, you know, our, and our pets that we brought with us. So we just loaded up in the car, and we didn't know if we would have enough gas to get out. We didn't know if we'd find a hotel. We did not know what was going to happen if we get stuck on the highway. And so the long story, so I'll make the story short here. We did get out. We did find a hotel. We were able to get gas. It was, it was definitely crowded on the highway. There was a lot of people trying to get out. Um, but what I found that was interesting in my experience is that I decided that I was going to have a good experience. And when we were getting on the highway, I just decided. We talked about it. We are like, we're just going to have a good experience. And, you know, we know that we're protected and we'll be guided and everything's going to be fine. And it was. And when we would stop to get gas, we would, there'd be gas. We'd have to wait in the line, but there'd be gas. And we would go inside to use the restroom, and everybody that was waiting in the line to use the restroom was friendly. We'd be talking, like, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. I'm from there. So all in all, even though it was not what you would choose to do is evacuate your home in the middle of the night, everything was fine. We were safe. We arrived at a hotel in Pensacola, and we made it. We were okay. And everything was fine. So so once that all passed, that danger, you know, the fear of 
all those things happening to you, you know, getting stuck, getting trapped, um, not having food. Those things all pass and those fears are pass. So then what happens is to our nervous system is that fear gets stuck in our nervous system, right? And we are being stimulated over and over and over to feel the anxiety um, because our nervous system gets stuck in a loop and it's still on, um, you know, it's producing the, the bad hormones, the, the cortisol and all that stuff that makes you feel tense and stressed um, because it's, it's constantly getting you ready to fight or flight, even though the danger is past. And so that's the difference in the, the healthy fear and the unhealthy fear. The healthy fear is when you actually feel fear because your life may be in danger and, yes, you want to protect your life at all costs. And so you run, you run away, right? If you can run away, fight or flight, right? We chose flight and we, we left. But once that danger was passed, then it was a matter of just clearing out that fear and just knowing now I'm safe. Nothing bad is happening to me right now. And that's what I'd like to really just invite you guys to all look at, you know, in your life, Okay. Um, is there actually something happening right now that's threatening your life, perceived, a perceived danger, whether it's your actual life, whether it's your emotional life, your social life? You know, we can feel very threatened in our social circles, politically threatened, emotionally threatened. Is someone going to take away emotional support from us, something we depend on? And this is all tied to our primal drives that tell us we're going to die. So everything is around survival. So ask yourself if you're feeling stressed and you're feeling fearful, stop and just say, what is actually happening right now? And look around in your environment. Okay, A, are you safe? You know, is someone trying to kill you right now? Probably not. Is there a tiger chasing you? Probably not. Um, you know, is, do you have food? You know, are you hungry? No, you probably have eaten you have water, you have access to water, are you sheltered? Yes. You know, so those types of things, it grounds you in the moment to say, oh, wow, actually there's nothing to fear right in this moment. I really am safe. So what is it I'm afraid of? Why am I feeling this anxiety, you know? And a lot of times just bringing the awareness to it will clear it out, you know, because you'll say, oh, really there's nothing to be afraid of right now. And you can release that fear. So many of us live in such constant anxiety, uh, states of anxiety, because of the fact that we have these fears just running our nervous system from things that happened a long time ago. So I just wanted to bring that up because it was tied to my little story of the hurricane and the difference between healthy fear and unhealthy fear. So if a tiger isn't actually chasing you or if a hurricane isn't actually chasing you, you're probably pretty safe. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Just be happy. <laughs> Just keep going, right? And I'm going to go ahead and end the talk now. Um, thank you so much for listening and for having me on the show. And I'm going to hand it back to Sensei. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, I think that's, you know, when I think about Buddhist wisdom, I always think about this one teacher who wrote an article and said that uh, he was giving a Dharma talk and 
as he was giving it, he realized that what he was saying was common sense, you know, <laughs> and and uh, I guess Brighton's approach is verbalizing or expressing that common sense teachings in common everyday language. Of course, we could sometimes uh, spice it up with religious terminology and words and concepts. But behind it is it's about human life and about uh, healthy living, you know. Um, and when you think about crises, now, of course, the first noble truth is, hey, in, to be born, to, to be alive means things are going to happen, you know. Not very good things sometimes, all kinds of difficulties and problems and so forth. So if we use the word, of course, if we use the word crisis, meaning it's ramped up a little bit, more major life experiences, you know, financial problems, health problems, um, divorce, all kinds of things, you know, life crisis, uh, that's when wisdom and life teachings can really help us. Um, and there was a, there was a um, the word for crisis in Japanese uh, is composed of two written Chinese characters, and it's interesting that one character by itself is a complete uh, a kanji or Chinese character, and um, it means danger. And the other character. Okay, means opportunity. So this is the wisdom where crisis is composed of these two characters. One means danger, one means opportunity. Um, that sure there's a danger in the sense of emotional upheaval and you can't ignore that. Okay, But at the same time, what we do sometimes miss out is that there's an opportunity, you know, there's a, there's a common saying when one door closes, two more open up, things like this. That's not just overly superficial optimism. That's really true, okay? Or as one of the chapters in one of my father's books, I think the title of it is uh, Misfortune is Fortune, okay? In the spiritual life, misfortune is fortune. Or sometimes he that point was made in... Uh, Black is white, you know. Uh, something that's dark and and terrible at one time, later on, say, hey, okay. Or even a French existentialist, Sartre, one of his sayings was uh, something like, what was it now? All growth comes from some kind of loss. Okay. We all live two lives, one that we learn from and after that. This is a core thing of Buddhist teachings where it says that, you know, they know about the first noble truth. So when you bring awareness to it, okay, that phrase, I think, bringing awareness to it, whatever it stands for, huh, uh, means that our attitude is the crucial thing. We cannot control external things that happen to us. 
A lot of things we can, and then it's fine. We could deal with it. But some things you cannot deal with in the sense of changing it. You, know, you broke your leg or this happened or you got fired or something. Huh? So there's a phrase, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, X is not the problem. How we deal with X is the problem. That uh, really has helped me a lot. And that whole, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a uh, bumper sticker, uh, doo-doo happens. Of course, they don't use the word doo-doo. And then they, they had a, there was a, a flyer made and a T-shirt made about all the world's religions, the philosophy behind all the world's religions. And so um, uh, Catholics, it was something like, you know, because there's a lot of guilt in Catholicism, okay, original sin and so forth. Well, when shit happens, you deserved it. Or Jewish people have always struggled, so their history is filled with, okay, so much attempts to oppress them. So the Jewish religion says, um, uh why does this shit always happen to us? Um, Buddhism, uh, it said, when shit happens, it's not really shit. You know, this is kind of simplistic, but there's a grain of truth in there. Okay? Because BM could be fertilizer too. Huh? That, I think, is a tremendous thing. Okay? Uh... So I, I, sometimes I'd say, yeah, BM, Buddha movement. Um, how do you handle, when you bring awareness to something and you realize that, hey, I, I, how am I going to handle this? Because, see, when you say, when you blame everything on the external environment, then because it, you can't do anything about it directly, you feel hopeless, powerless. But when you, just saying those words X is not the problem. How I deal with X is the problem. It's a 180-degree turn. As soon as you say that, you feel empowered. You feel, well, let's see. What can I do? I could respond this way. I could respond that way. And this is the same as uh, rational emotive therapy and Alice, Albert Ellis' work, where he talks about irrational uh, thought. Okay? It's how we think about things. When we think about things, it's sort of like we're talking to ourselves. And it's irrational, basic irrational thoughts. He gives some examples of how we victimize ourselves. That's what we're talking about. Okay? Someone, a boyfriend broke off with someone. Then the person says, oh, I'll never find somebody, you know, else. Okay. Or you... you, you you lost a job or something for some reason. You say, well, I'll never find a good job now. You catastrophize. You go to extreme. Um, or he said something like uh, another irrational thoughts were. These are sort of like meta assumptions. So basic that we're not even aware that we're doing it like, you know, functioning this way. Um, I should be loved by all people at all times. Of course not. That's irrational. But somehow, the reason we get upset or and so forth, we seem to be acting like that's our assumption. Okay? Of course you can't be liked by everybody. 
and not all the time either. Okay. Uh, there's another one. I should be competent in all things. Of course we, of course we can. You know? Okay. And he had, a, I think, maybe ten, ten of these kind of statements. And part of his therapy, cognitive type therapy, is giving homework to how to examine that these things are happening, and that you could challenge yourself. Talk. Okay. So it's very Buddhistic in a sense. I mean, the I, the iconic first pass, first line in the. Dhammapada is all that we are as a result of what we have thought. Uh, it follows like, us like a shadow that never leaves us. Uh, so that's uh, that kind of bringing awareness to it. As I was listening to the Dharma, today's Dharma glimpse, all kind of associations occurred to me that sort of reinforce my own personal examples that highlight this teaching. And one was uh, uh, David Brazier uh, in the 90s. He came to talk to us. We invited him as a guest speaker at, at the Buddhist Temple of Chicago. And he was in Canada. He was, uh, he's, he's based out of uh, uh, England. And he was making a, a lecture tour. And he was happy to be in Canada. And this was in the wintertime. And there was a big ice storm. And so the bus and stuff, he had a lot of trouble. Uh, and when he arrived, he was very calm, you know. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, Buddhists, they have a certain attitude. You know, when you travel, all kind of things could happen. You could miss a flight. You could get, you, Travel itself is stressful, okay. Uh, and I remember when I drove him back to the airport when he was leaving, and I said, well, I hope you have a smooth flight. But if you don't, you know what to do. And he smiled, you know. So Buddhists, that's why Buddhists are calm. I remember one time I, you know, we went to a Thai temple, uh, and my father was uh, participating in a panel there. And, you know, the Thai people, they're very enthusiastic and supportive. And they said, oh, Reverend Kubosa came and, and one person came up and said, is he calm? Is he calm? I mean, they were looking for, you know, I never thought of that association, but when you say Buddhist, you mean a calm Buddhist. Or, you know, type B. Okay. <laughs> there was a lingo terminology in medical about type A, type B. Type A is a stressful, busy executive. Okay. Type B is the calm person. Okay. Well, uh, how do you... When you bring awareness to it, how do you bring that kind of spiritual acceptance? Uh, I think that uh, there's a healthy acceptance and an unhealthy acceptance. And in Japanese, there's the phrase, shigata ganai. And it means, oh, I can't help it. This is what happened. Okay. And when we were younger and we heard the, the adults say that to a major life situation, we didn't like that phrase. We said, no, nah, don't accept it. Fight it. You know, uh, we thought that was a weak kind of acceptance. But it has a lot of wisdom in there. Okay. I mean, when 100,000 Japanese Americans from the West Coast were incarcerated in World War II camps, uh, war hysteria, I think what, what 
help the people as a whole was the kind of meta assumption that culturally, buddhistically, they well can't help it. This is not right. It's unconstitutional. Okay, but here we are. We you know this must have been a terrible time for the young adults, especially. You don't know how long you're going to be in there. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. It's a completely new experience. How are you going to handle this? The uncertainty. Okay. But they did the best they could. X wasn't the problem. Okay. How we deal with X. I mean, they organized their sports teams. They had a lot of people. You know, those Japanese Americans, a lot of them were, were, were truck farmers. And they worked hard. But now... They can take it easy. Okay, that you know, that's one side of it. Okay. And but they nurtured all kinds of artistic works, crafts and and things like this. A lot of tremendous uh handicraft came out of the camp experience. Um so and then in Nikon therapy, you know, we, we use uh Greg Creech's book. Uh Nikon means inner reflection. It's a type of uh uh, particular therapy that comes out of uh, Japan. Um, and one part is to say, you know, uh, you think all day, you go to a Nikon retreat and uh, you, one common uh, theme is say, you, you look at someone, you concentrate on someone. And the beginning one is usually they, they say your mother. And you think about all the things your mother did for you. Okay. And how little you gave back. You know, she made your lunch every day. She worried about you. She did, okay. And she did a lot of things that, you know, not necessarily, it was just the situation and the parent, child and everything. And, but uh, you got taken care of and you took it for granted. Okay. And that's okay. Uh, But as an adult, now looking back on it, that's what Nikon's about. You think about this, and then you talk about it, and so forth. But some people say, "Oh, but why should you, why should, why should you feel guilty? That guilty is bad, man. I, that's a downer." But there's a difference between that kind of guilt and healthy guilt. Healthy guilt, I think, is you say you become aware that a real basis of real gratitude and humility in your life when you realize, okay, you didn't, you know, it's sort of like a, a financial model of assets and liability. You got a, you received a lot of assets, but you don't realize that you got a lot of debt and things you owe. And in fact, uh, Dogen, famous founder of Soto Zen said, you know, the way you, the way you can walk successfully the spiritual path is with the if you have the feeling of unrepayable debt. Yeah, that kind of feeling. Um, because when you feel you did something, oh, you're on your own and everything else, and, you know, pride and ego and all this, you know, it's irrational. Okay? It's not real. It's not realistic. Okay? So it's not a real downer in the sense of, Okay. A negative self image, it's a realistic one. And the same thing with crises. Yeah, it's a bad situation, but because of it, not in spite of it, but because of it, you see opportunities that you would have never seen before. 
And then you say, hey, okay. Um, <laughs> one last story. I know it's getting long. I Talking about travel, though, you know, I, we went to a retreat in L.A. once from Chicago, and there was a Buddhist and Catholic pairs from different dioceses invited, okay? Father Luzak, Andy Luzak, and I, we, we represented Chicago, and we went over there. There was about 30 pairs of us. and um, But anyway, uh, we met in Malibu. <laughs> there was a Sarah, Sarah Center. That's a, that's a retreat center up in the Malibu Hills. <laughs> All these Hollywood type the, the monks that are in charge of the Benedictine monks, they said, oh, yeah, Dick Van Dyke lived over there and, you know, <laughs> so forth. Mel Gibson lived over there. But anyway, after it was over and we're a small group of us returning to the Midwest uh, in L.A. airport, and this was around a time when travel was really uh, security and all this stuff. is It's a mess. It was, you know, <laughs> one time we were all lined up in the hallway, all lined up. <laughs> and somebody yells, we're being treated like cattle. <laughs> you know, stress, man. People were freaking out. Okay. But anyway, but I had some experience with maybe uh, getting another flight. One flight gets canceled. Well, you could uh, be proactive and you could say, well, let me see, you know, it, to go and ask the the uh, desk person, airline person, say, well, let's see, you know, any other arrangements can be made. And so when that flight was canceled, I, I did that, okay, very calmly. I wasn't ex- excited or anything. But then I went back to our small group and I said, hey, I got us onto another flight that, you know, is leaving right now. We could get on. And one of the Catholic fathers, Father Bema, he said, I didn't even think about this aspect, but he said, hey, Oh, we Catholics, we're trying to be Buddhistic, and we were calmly accepting the situation. But here, you know, the Buddhist shows the initiative to make a to, to make a actively, you know, change it. And I said, well, you know, we kind of had a laugh about that, but uh, well, I scribbled up other notes during the Dharma games and mentioning talking about time and I remember a quote maybe it was from a physicist or something he says well time is such that so that everything doesn't happen all at once <laughs> I mean I kind of and then I saw a t-shirt once because there's a common phrase time flies like an arrow and I saw a t-shirt that had that on the front time flies like an arrow and then on the back it said but fruit flies like bananas I had to chuckle at that. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a wonderful day. Thank you.